Welcome to Pocketry Presents, the podcast for emerging and aspiring poets. I'm Indrani Pereira, the founder of Pocketry, the home of unheard voices. I'm coming to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge that this land is stolen and that sovereignty has never been ceded. In this episode of Pocketry Presents, I'm interviewing an established poet about their creative process. Joining me today is Emily Collier. Emily lives in Australia on Wurundjeri country where she writes poetry, plays and prose. Her writing has appeared most recently in Booth, USA, the Ekphrastic Review, USA, the Blue Nib Island, Text, Mianjin, Cordite, Rabbit and Australian Poetry Journal. And in 2021, she guest edited Taster Review Journal in India. She is the author of the illustrated poetry book, Your Looking Eyes. Her award-winning plays include Contest, Dream Home and The Good Girl, which has had multiple international productions. She is currently a PhD candidate at RMIT researching feminist creative practice. Wow, what an amazing bio. Welcome, Emily. I'm glad you could join me today. Thank you. It's so cool to be here. Yay. Hi. Hi. All right. (laughs) How about we start with some questions about your creative process? Great. All right, so the first question I have for you is where do you write? Is it at home, in the park, on the bus? I generally write at home. So you're looking at me right now because we're on Zoom. So this study that you can see behind me is pretty much where I do all of my writing. I mean, I write little, I write notes. I take a notebook everywhere I go, like many writers. So I'll often write notes wherever I am um, and by my bed or wherever. But when I actually do nearly all of my writing now on the computer, and pretty much all of it in this study. Okay, all right, that's excellent. And so you're, you're a screen person then mostly just, and do you find that you can be creative on a screen? Yeah, I think I've, I think I've adapted. I think, um, as I said, I said, I still really love to take impressionistic notes in a notebook, which are more like things that pop into my head or things I see that feel like they belong. Or if I'm reading something, sometimes I'll sit with a notebook and just take hand notes. So there's still a role for handwriting in my writing practice. But honestly, I'm much faster now on a keyboard and I feel like there's a different kind of flow. And because I I think I actually am quite a visual person, so I quite like typing and seeing the words appear on the screen as they're going to be on the page because that helps me start to make the meaning of the work that I'm writing. And also my handwriting has become increasingly messier and more laborious as, t- as I've used it less. So in, in fact, mechanically now I'm just better on, on screen and on a keyboard, which is, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just how things have evolved. Interesting how you sort of adapted to the technology and how that shaped your process then as well. Yeah, totally. It's very much that, you know, Donna Haraway says that we're kind of all already part cyborg. And in a way, I think we are. We're like the computer is such an extension now of how I write and visualize writing. Um, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I like that quote. That's a, that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm picturing, you know, people with bits of tech embedded into the size of their heads. Yeah. Well, look, my earbuds that are in now, you know, that we, we pull them out now, but they're still embedded yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, we're not not that far off um okay so the next question then would be when do you write is there a time of day a season or does it have to do with um your mood or what's going on around you um I mean I have a I have you know I've been writing for a long time and I guess I have what I would say is just a regular ongoing writing practice I'm not obsessive about writing you know for a particular number of hours every day or even I mean 
many years ago I was trying to write novels and I did it and that was more about word count if it's like just trying to kind of rack up word count to get a big body of work done but because I mostly write poetry and essays and plays word count isn't thing so much as just keeping connected to the practice um so I I try and write it's also different right now because I'm doing a PhD so I'm doing a lot more writing and different kind of writing than I would in my in just my own creative practice having said that I probably write every day um occasionally I'll go I think I just need a whole day off away from the computer away from anything for my own mental and physical health as much as anything but um yeah so and, and it's a combination it'll be new ideas that are forming that I try and grab on the fly and just get them down through to working specifically on a work that maybe has a deadline either for me or for the world and then through to refining other pieces that, that are maybe a longer slower burn it's like oh okay I can take some time on that one today and just do a few hours slower work on that so there's different levels mm. um but I guess yeah pretty much every day and and hours depending on how much time I have and, and what else is, is is pressing on my time and do you find that those different kinds of writing the sort of the new inspirational stuff or the other slow burn things do you sort of move between them depending on mood or is it dependent on deadlines like is there a sort of process there a bit of both. I mean, deadlines are great, as, as many writers would attest, because that you've got that end point where you go, well, this has to be done by, by this stage and I'll work back in terms of timelining my time to make sure I get things out that I've um, committed to. Then in terms of things that are more in that fluid state, this is just for me at the moment or it might go somewhere, um, I can move reasonably well between the modes of writing. Again, I think it's just years and years of doing it. Um, and then, you know, if, if I'm feeling a little kind of lower in mood, sometimes it's actually easier to work on the more procedural stuff. Like, okay, I've just got to get this revision of that thing done. Um, not that I have to be super inspired to write the new things, but that sort of creative energetic flow when you're trying to bring something from nothing is a very different space from working on something that already exists. Um, yeah. And in terms of the time of day, I'm pretty... Um, I'm pretty much a day person. I know some people love to write late at night. I, I don't. I love reading at night and doing more sort of in, inward things. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I'm much, I'm, and, and like many people, probably energy is best in the morning, but I, I tend to kind of keep fairly normal working hours in terms of the hours of the day that I write. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned you're um, doing a PhD at the moment and doing sort of different sort of writing. Are you finding mm. that sort of feeding back into your creative writing and your poetry and informing that? Definitely, like in really interesting ways because I'm reading a lot of theory about, about writing because it's a creative practice PhD, so I'm trying to sort of pull apart what it is I do and what other people do when they write. So there is that kind of side of it, but even some of the other broader theoretical thinking around kind of feminist theory that I'm doing or kind of affect theory, you know, this sort of affective turn we're in now where feelings of is, is very important to um, a lot of theoretical work. That is feeding back into the sort of things I'm interested in writing about poetically. Um, I think occasionally I need to sort of just catch myself because doing a lot of critical reading and writing, you can be more in that critical mode. So when I come to write a poem, I find I'm a little more critical. I'm like, oh, that's terrible when I've written the first draft. Rather than, it's just a first draft. Just leave it and move on. But I'm a bit more kind of like, oh, no, it's, yeah, that, that side of the brain is turned on hard. So I just need to kind of take the lever off that when I'm, and remind myself when you're in creative mode, it doesn't need to be good 
yeah. best time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe switch that on later when you need to revise. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the next question I have for you, it's about how do you write? So do you write in dot points or fragments, sentences, paragraphs, verse? Yeah, I love this question. And again, it's a little bit different. I think, I think fragments, that word really stood out to me when you said it. Um, I think I do tend to, um, in those very early stages, it's a bit of a fragmentary process. I'll, it'll be a phrase that's coming to my mind or a thing that I saw that I'm trying to translate into words or even like sort of a news story that has stuck out to me. I'm like, oh, there's something gritty in that. So I'll kind of grab those fragments and get them down and then start making the connections Occasionally I kind of do a whole run and do a very loose, bad draft of something all in one go, just sort of get it on the page. Um, yeah, so they're all they're, they're quite different processes. Sometimes it'll just be one line and I just save the file as that one line and maybe even leave it for quite some time, but it's there and I know that I can come back to it next time I have some time to really do some more of that deeper thinking work. Um, yeah, so a bit of everything really, but okay. yeah, I love thinking about it, yeah. And with, with those sort of one-sentence files, do you have a way of keeping track of them or do you just happily discover them one day when you're cleaning up your computer desk? I'm pretty chronological in my ordering, like I sort of learned a while back. So I have on my, literally on my computer, I have, um, you know, poetry, plays, short stories, nonfiction, and then year by year I make a new folder. Mm. So then I can just, so, and then for each file, that's a new file within that year. And I might even sometimes within the year have new ideas or unfinished ideas and then sort of finished or polished pieces. So then it's, it's, it's quite nice actually. Cause like you said, you sort of have these un, un, unremembered little gems that you go, Oh, I forgot that I was writing on those two or three things last year. I can now pull them into this year and keep going with them a bit. So yeah, chronologically and visually again, like a filing system is how I keep track. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you ever t take those little unfinished ideas and smoosh them together into other pieces? I do yes like sometimes I go yes exactly that and I think maybe that's the brain telling you just if you've got them all there eventually you might go oh that belongs with that one or in fact that one is not its own whole idea but it can feed into this larger piece that I'm working on yeah and sometimes they don't go any further like they'd definitely be an interesting collection of the never returned to fragments um but I still think they all they all fit they all belong and they're all part of the you know this perhaps overused but term that I really love is that compost of writing where everything feeds into it and some some things form plants and flowers and trees and some things just stay as the compost but they're just as important because they're sitting underneath it all so yeah it's the fertile soil that's growing your plants yeah 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 I'm, I'm quite interested in the sort of the ephemera of art making and, you know, maybe the things that are left over from when you create art or you write things. So, you know, I'd be fascinated to see a collection of the, the bits that never saw the light of day, you know, those sort of, I don't know, shoes in the cupboard that never got worn because they were too tight, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I still have a connection and I think they still serve a purpose. Um, Yes, but I mean, and that's another whole conversation we could tease out for hours, isn't it, is how do we know which are the ones that that deserve, I put inverted commas, to be made into a final work and which are the things that we feel like just are serving our process. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you would, I mean, having just read your wonderful book recently, I guess there was that process you went through too of, of selecting and discarding, like what belongs and what doesn't quite make it in or... Um, or which things feel better for another collection or which don't feel like they need to be in a collection. They're just, they're just a poems that maybe 
you love reading aloud or love for a personal reason, but they don't have to have that public um, reason for being. Mm. Yeah, and, and some poetry, I suppose, like you said, doesn't need to see the light of day. Just the act of writing it could be enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to make a mental note of that little um, bit that you just raised to um, look at down the track and maybe we'll come back and have a chat about that one day. Um, but I'll move yeah, on yeah, yeah. to the next question now, um, I think, which I think you've already answered. The next one I had down was how often you wrote and you've pretty much said mm. every day unless you're having a day off for mental health reasons. Uh, and then my next question would be, what do you write in response to are they things that happen in your life, um, your personal family history, political events, things that are happening in, in our culture? Um, I'd have to say all of the above. Um, I mean, I really do. I sort of, I feel like there's different, um, and it's, it's what I love about writing and, and maybe especially about writing poetry because it's such a nimble form and you can adapt to so many um, creative, political, personal stimuli, stimuli and demands. So I, I will sometimes just write uh, um, to exercise an emotion, um, you know, to try and work through it for myself. And again, that, that might end up being a very private personal poem or it might feel like, oh no, this feels like it can meet the world because it feels like it's saying something universal, hopefully in its, in its personal nature. But yeah, I definitely... I think actually I've become increasingly, I think maybe when I first started writing, we say like 20, 25 years ago, it might've been more personal more often. Um, and now, and over time, I think I've developed a bit more of a political consciousness in terms of I love writing pieces that are pulling apart language and how language, public language is used mm-hmm. um, and really trying to interrogate that and kind of smash it around a bit um, as well as sort of, maybe less so socio-political events. I mean, I find them fascinating and I love to read other people's accounts of them. And sometimes I'll pull a little bit of that in, into poetry. But, yeah, I'm very interested in, in, the, in the kind of poetics of language and, and how language is structured and how it's used and for good and bad. And I like to sort of pull that into my work and then also responding to others, other creative pieces. So whether that's drawing on kind of on past works, um, like past poetry or mythology, I do have a bit of a, a love for reinventing kind of Greek mythological characters and trying to sort of pop them in different situations, only because that's the that's the sort of poetic inheritance that I draw on in, in the most overt way in terms of what my education and my upbringing taught me, what poetry was, was this kind of Western heritage of the Greeks and Shakespeare and Chekhov and um, so sometimes I like to kind of really dig into that and ask, how is that relevant to me now and to what contemporary writing is now and use it as, as material and as fodder to play with. So sorry, that was a very long answer. But yes, all, all of those things I find really interesting and useful and exciting. All right. Uh, you were talking about Greek mythology and I find that really interesting because it is such a part of Western culture. But um, I also wondered too about other mythologies from other cultures and I'm, I'm not aware of your background at all, but do you draw on any sort of mythology from your own lineage, as it were? I've just started to and I think it's this sort of, again, this slow, uh, a gradual consciousness raising, which I, I, I find is part of my attempts to decolonise my own thinking in terms of, well, don't just accept what you've been given as a given sort of be more conscious of my 
um, my background, my situation, my position in the world. So my personal and family heritage is, is Celtic and, and German. Um, so I've just started looking a little bit more into Norse mythology because that feels like, well, that's the, the kind of more direct lineage in terms of the, this body that has been made through my ancestors. Um, so I've been writing a little bit in response to that. Um, yeah, so that's been really interesting and kind of confronting to realise that I had never really done that before. I just, uh, you know, because the Greeks are so big in terms of literature, that was just that was just what I assumed was my inheritance as a poet and a playwright. Mm. Um, so then to dig more into my sort of personal and family inheritance and, and what literature surrounds that is interesting. And then, you know, my my geographical position, I live in this country we call Australia and there's, there's, there's a richness of um, all the First Nations writing that's going on, which is, is not mine, but is something that I can respond to and reflect on because I live here and am a, a settler on these lands. And then also I live in a country that's part of Asia. And I'm, you know, I lived in India myself for a little while, so I'm really interested in, in what those conversations are being in this part of the world and and the friends I made while I lived there, as well as the, the mythologies and the stories around the various religions and cultural stories of those places. Again, they, they don't belong to me, but I can be in conversation with them in a very rich way. So there's a lot to draw on and, and, and to navigating, as I said, which of those are mine, which of those are more just my privilege to listen to and learn from, and which I can sort of bring into conversation with my own writing. And I love that that keeps shifting and, and evolving it's interesting that you're talking about how there are these different facets of the world experience and mythology that don't necessarily belong to you in terms of your heritage or your inheritance as a poet with the Greek tradition. Mm. And I'm wondering when you say that you can write in response to them, you know, if you could unpack that a little bit, what exactly do you mean about writing in response to those sorts of things? Well, I think in a really overt way, like I can very consciously and explicitly uh so last year as part of my um research i was looking a lot at um this amazing book called archival poetics by a first nations writer natalie harkin and, and 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 off the back which was which was her unpacking of a lot of the language around the archives of australia of colonial australia particularly as it related to indigenous people and i read that and it made me very aware well, what, what are my personal archives as, as, as they relate to how my family arrived here and their role in that kind of, of settling and colonising? So, so for me, then I started a series of small poems about that. So that's what I mean by responding. Another poet had done this work. And I was like, oh, I haven't done that work. I could possibly try to do that work for myself. So it was responding to the, to the idea and the skill that, um, that that poet showed me. And I asked how I could do that for myself. I'm just trying to unpack if I would take the mythology of another culture and, and write about that. I'm not sure that I would, but I might write about the process of asking about the ethics of that, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So I would possibly not just do it, but I think the question is interesting. and I think we need to be asking the questions and engaging with the processes, not just avoiding them. So, yeah, I haven't literally done that, but it's, it's something that I might, I might explore at some point. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, just one more question on this before we move on, going back to um, how you were using the Greek mythology tradition, because that's the poetic inheritance, 
but now you've started exploring your Germanic and your Celtic roots. And I'm wondering, does that feel different in your writing or in your body, the two different traditions when you're writing about them? Have you noticed a difference? Wow. You're asking the very big, difficult, good questions, Indrani. Um, mm. I can't quite answer it, to be honest. I think a little different. I think I think the main thing is that, again, with that, with the sort of inheritance, with the literary inheritance, it can be a little intellectual. Mm. So I do work hard to try and, and embody it or place it, which is what I mean by I kind of take like a, a sort of um, iconic figure, like an Antigone or someone, and I try and understand what that myth means for me now and for people living now. So that's sort of, but it's still an intellectual process. And with the other side of things, I think there's a little bit of this. I don't think it's any more embodied because I think part of the issue of being someone who was, um, who was of a settler heritage is for many of us, we, we've lost a lot of those connections back to our, um, our ancestors. They sort of got displaced by traveling overseas and then those histories not being talked about in, in families and kept alive so much as sort of starting anew. So I think there's a there's a fragility there to what it means to explore those those sort of lineages. So it's at the moment it's cautious and slow and yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to live in my body or in the poetry. It's very, very early, early days for me. Mm. It's ex- exciting though, starting something new, exploring a new part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And knowing it's just that too that that lovely thing as poets where there's always something new to be unfolding, you know, in, in the form and whether that's a personal thing or something to do with the craft itself or something to do with the, the rest of life. Yes, there's always something new to be exploring. That is, that is a nice feeling, which segues nicely into the next question, which is do you get writer's block and how do you deal with it? You know, you've just said that things sort of are always unfolding, but maybe they don't. <laughs> Yes, that's not to say that every day I get up and go, oh, here's my next poem that's just floating off the end of my fingertips. Um, no, not at all. I think that there, yes, I think there can be moments where energetically I feel, oh, all my ideas are terrible. In fact, I don't really, I've got nothing. I've, I've said everything I need to say. Okay. And it's sort of a bleak moment, but in a way it's also, it's almost like you let your creator self off the hook and you go, well, that's fine then just like read for a couple of weeks or watch kind of dumb TV or go for lots of walks. You know, I have, I have in the past and still do like, I love going to art galleries. I love watching dance and listening to music because I just, I love getting my mind to refresh by being immersed in an art form. That's not the form that I work in. And sometimes I get a bit envious as I think many of us who work with words, we realize the limits of words that words are so attached to meaning that I think that's partly why something called writer's block can occur because you have this urge of something you want to say and the words you're trying to use won't quite do it. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes just stepping away from words for a bit and going into other forms is helpful. Um, and sometimes just pushing through sluggish times and bad writing and just going, okay, I'm going to write this really bad first draft of a thing and then just put it in that little folder and, um, and just that breaking of the seal of like not all the writing has to be good. In fact, most of it isn't to begin with. For me, that's a good strategy for getting through those moments of blockage. So either taking a complete break or just pushing through the, the yuck. Yeah. 
I like that, that, you know, it doesn't all have to be good. I, I like that, that you can just write ordinary stuff that doesn't go anywhere. That's sort of liberating, really. It means you can just, I don't know, write down things and maybe experiment and play. Yeah. And then occasionally, not very often, like I think sometimes writing just is bad and that's fine, you've just done it, but it's helped you move through a mood or, or shift, a, shift an idea that you had. Very occasionally, if you're really true to that energy, I find you might come back a few months later and go, actually, that thing's not as bad as I thought. Or there's a, there's a seed of there that is so truthful emotionally because I was just in that grump or in that kind of difficult, anxious state. I can use some of that energy to now do something that's a bit more considered and crafted. But because I got it on the page then, there's a, there's a sort of truthful energy to it. So I think it is sort of worth, even when it feels awful, to sometimes get some of that stuff down and knowing that you might just use little bits of it later. Mm, and I like that too, that maybe there's an authenticity in that sort of raw emotion that you can harness later. Yeah. The next question I have is, do you revise your poetry? Yes. Yes. Sometimes quite a lot and sometimes not as much. Okay, my, my analogy is a bit like sports or music, whereas you practice and practice and practice and train and train and train and train and occasionally, you know, you, you do a PB, like a personal best time or you, you, you perform that piece of music, like, oh, I've never done it that well before. And occasionally a poem might emerge like that, all the work and all the slogging and all the just the technical practice. Occasionally one emerges, it's like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty close just as is. And I just need to tweak a few things. That's pretty rare. Mostly, as I said, it's, it's a draft that has the ideas there. I was talking to an amazing poet, Angela Costi, a few weeks ago, and I'm just going to credit her with this that she said often things come out first and are a bit too prosy and I'm a bit like that too like they come out and the ideas are there here are the ideas I want to explore but then I have to go through and shave it out and make sure the actual language is poetry and I'm not saying too much I'm leaving spaces for the reader so yes a lot of my redrafting process is is reducing words or at least reducing too much overt telling within what I'm exploring mm. And um, when you revise, I'm wondering, do you write it down on the computer, which is your like mode of writing? Do you revise it as you go or would you revise it when you come back later? Or do you ever write stuff just in your head first and revise it in your head and then write it down? Yeah, wow. Another great question. Sometimes I do it in my head a little bit. Like I will, I don't know if you relate to this, but I can be lying in bed and there's a particular line or a couple of lines and I start actually doing them almost visually moving the letters and words around and go, oh, I'll take that word out and put that one in, or this is a slightly better way of saying that. So that thing of we're always kind of working in a sense. Then on the actual page, I tend to write through as I go. And this is for all the forms that I work in. I'm a bit more of a redrafter than a careful planner. I know some people will almost wait to get something perfect in their mind as much as possible, then put it on the page. Whereas I tend to revise through rewriting so I'll have I'll just get that first draft I save a new version of the document and I just rename them draft one draft two three four five so I never lose the original so I don't need to be anxious about that and then I just so it means and with each one I can be quite radical I can go I just only like those two lines I'm just going to keep them or I like most of it but I need to kind of change these four stanzas or I need to make the whole thing shorter so I just make a new version every time I get a bit closer to what I want it to be and why, why do you do that and not just kind of burn it all as you go and just work on the one document? 
because sometimes I think you can over edit and I think you can make mistakes in revising. And I think I learned that um, by being part of a couple of poetry groups where occasionally I would take a poem I was working on and take one version and then another. And then often the feedback would be actually the original one's better. Like you need to refine it a bit, but you've lost some, you've lost the energy, you've lost that initial impulse in overworking it. So I think there's a really fine line. And that I think that's probably unique to every writer, like how much is is that sort of intuitive initial voice and you don't want to lose it too much as opposed to some writers who just craft and craft and craft and by the end it's this beautiful gem. For me, sometimes I can overwork and sort of suck the life out of something. So you ne- then I need to know that I can go back to the original and go, where is the heart of that? Oh, it's there. And if I, if I didn't do that, I think I'd just be too anxious. I'd be worried that I have lost the heart of it. So I can always do that looking back. Oh, no, this one has got better. Oh, this one's got worse. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah, so that gives you the freedom. It sort of liberates you because you know you can be as ruthless as you want in this document because it's all safely still yeah. safe. Yeah. Yes. And do, do you find that over time, it's a process that happens over time for you? Like can you revise something that you have just written? I think I, think I can. I think at least a little bit of time is helpful um, so you're not in those first throes of the initial impulse, just coming back with that slightly cooler head to look and go, oh, okay, that's not quite what I thought it was, you know, because you sort of remember things slightly differently from what actually emerged on the page. So I think a little bit of time helps. But I think to, you know, again, speaking of this kind of deadline thing, if you've got something and you know you need to get it to a certain point by a certain time, you can almost accelerate that process by, okay, I've done this, I'm I'm only going to leave it for one day because then I need to come back and start kind of really pushing it along. So, yeah, slightly different processes can be adapted, but I think, yes, time is helpful. Mm. Yep. Yes, that old, the, the saying, I don't know where it's from, but kill your darlings, it's much easier to do if you're not quite as attached to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, and uh, do you have any tips on writing or revising poetry for emerging poets? I'd recommend always leaving something and coming back to it a little while later and trying to read it, sort of a cliche, but as if you're not you, as if you're someone else um, who doesn't, who's not inside your head. So they won't get those automatic connections that you know and understand. That's if meaning is, you know, if, if the essential meaning of the poem, but then also just how it's executed. And again, every poet is different. I think for poets who don't tend to do it, reading aloud is really helpful because you can hear when, oh, I've actually repeated quite a few words in that phrase or that that sounds more like a prose sentence than a poetic line. So when you say it out loud, you can hear that sometimes more than you can see it on the page. And then if you can find a group to be part of, maybe not always, but for little pockets of time, some trusted feedback from others can help you sort of see externally what your strengths and weaknesses are as a writer because those trusted people will let you know. They'll hopefully be like, oh, this is such a beautiful Emily poem, but it's also done that thing that you tend to do, which is when you say the same thing four times. So you probably don't need to. It's like, oh, yeah, I've done that again. Yeah, so I think, yeah, a bit of time learning to read your own work like an external person and maybe a trusted feedback group are all good ways to help you edit and rewrite. And also do what works for you. I mean, I know some poets who are a bit more immediate and expressive and the version they write is the version that it is. And if that works for you and for the kind of poetry you want to write and deliver, then that's also fine. I'm just sort of talking about what's worked for me. Mm. So if you're interested in editing and refining, 
these are some techniques to use, but I'm not saying that every person has to do it in that way. Yes, that's a good reminder that you're talking about your experience and sharing how you do things so other people can then listen and sort of take from what you're saying things that resonate and obviously, of course, the things that don't jive, then you can just leave them, let them lie. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so important in, in listening to anyone's advice that, yeah, it's from their perspective and may be useful but also may not <laughs> yes it's also nice to hear I always find it nice to hear other people's stories and I'm really curious about how other people work and 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 the way they get things done because it, there's always a nugget somewhere in there that you go oh wow that's yeah. amazing that you can sort of take away and and add to your own practice I think yeah yes well, yeah thanks so much for sharing those great insights into your creative poetry writing practice Emily It's been my pleasure. It's been an awesome conversation. I've just loved it. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to read some of Emily's um, work, you can check out her website, uh, www.betweenthecracks.net, or you can find her on socials at Emily Collier. And to find out more about Pocketry, the home of unheard voices, visit www.pocketry.com.au and happy writing.